Welcome to episode 57 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samples. I'm incredibly excited to share that my book reached number one in several categories and has been in the top 20 for 10 categories for over a week. Amazon has even been promoting it via email. Thank you to everyone who helped me with this successful launch. I know many of you are waiting for the paperback and I can now declare that it will be available on Tuesday, September 12th. When you buy the paperback, you will also receive a free audiobook and there'll be an option to bundle in the Kindle book as well. But the price for the Kindle is only $2.99 this week, so don't wait to get a jumpstart on reading Croissants versus Bagels, Strategic, Effective, and Inclusive Networking at Conferences. Learn more about my book at robbysamuels.com slash bookstore. And while you're there, you can download the Kindle bonus bundle, transcripts from the first 25 On the Schmooze solo shows where I shared a networking tipper technique, plus 25 leadership quotes from the guests I interviewed during my first year. The book, again, is just two ninety nine dollars this week, so you can get the Kindle now and the paperback later if you'd like. I cannot wait to hear what resonates with you. On the Schmooze is proud to be a headliner on C-Suite Radio, which is part of the C-Suite Network, a network of a half million C-level executives. If you enjoy business podcasts, you should also check out C-Suite TV at c-suitetv.com. Now, on to this week's show. Today's guest believes that no matter what obstacles we face, what burdens we bear, what trials we've experienced, we can all be content with our present situation and optimistic about the future. He is Chief Business Officer at Google's X, an elite team of engineers that comprise Google's futuristic Dream Factory. In 2001, he realized that despite his incredible success, he was desperately unhappy. A lifelong learner, he attacked the problem as an engineer would. Starting with his understanding of how the brain takes in and processes joy and sadness, he applied his superior skills of logic and problem solving to the issue of happiness. The result? He discovered the equation for permanent happiness. He shares his algorithm in his book, Solve for Happy, where he questions some of the most fundamental aspects of our existence, shares the underlying reasons for suffering, and plots out a step-by-step process for achieving lifelong happiness and enduring contentment. Please join me in welcoming Mo Godat. Hey, Robbie. Thanks for having me here. Mo, thank you for joining me from Toronto. I know you're on this whirlwind uh, book yeah. tour right now. I am. I'm going everywhere, and it's amazing. So I want to just jump right in. I know my audience will be curious about your day-to-day, how you arrived at this, this book concept. But since this is a podcast about leadership and building great networks, tell me, what does leadership mean to you? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? When did I realize I had the skills to lead? Uh, I did not realize that yet. I, I don't think anyone ever has the skills to, re- to lead. I think we, get, we, get, we have the skills to manage, if you want. Um, but that, ha- that has nothing to do with leadership. I think in my definition, leadership is to be aligned with the value system and the destination of those you lead. 
And if you truly are uh, in, in that alignment, you don't have to do, there is no skill involved. You just are in alignment in a way where you are just in an, in an interesting way, one of the, one of the group really, but, but a slightly more adventurous part of the group. You're a, a little bit in the forefront of the group, if you want. Uh, I, I don't, I actually don't see, uh, I don't see that as a skill. I, I see that as a, uh, as a, a lifestyle, a, a mode of existing, if you want. Uh, you know, I, 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 I think the only time where I noticed there was a skill to this was, I must have been 31, which is a long time ago. You don't even want to know how long ago. But anyway, you know, I, I realized when I attended a training around situational leadership that not everyone would would follow the same way, uh, that, that everyone would actually require to require you to be a different kind of leader, if you want, for everyone that you uh, that you hope will follow. Right. Uh, and, and, and that's, again, I would probably think is, is the wrong word. It's probably situational management, not situational leadership. I think, I think what a leader does really is, you know, a leader would live the way he wants his destiny to be. And, and that would be enough for, for others to follow if, if that's at all correct. I, yeah, my view. I love it. I love that you're offering a somewhat contrarian point of view on this because a lot of people I feel when I ask them this question, they give me sort of the textbook answer as if they had looked it up on Google a moment ago. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, so, sh- I, should, I should look it up on Google though. I mean, that's, 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 a, that's a good you know, added view of it. I love though the situational piece that you're bringing in because I do think there's a way that being adaptive is important to being able to move people to follow you that you have to sort of recognize that not everyone is going to be um, encouraged by the same thing. And so you have to really like understand their motivation and how I guess part of the leadership would be to, to help their personal individual motivation fit in with the greater view, the greater vision. Absolutely. I, th- I think, I think what's amazing about people and I travel the world all the time. So people everywhere in all walks of life. What's amazing is that we, we all share an underlying core that is true for all of us. Of course, our motivations for that core might be different. What what's on our priority list might be different, but then, but then we all are so different in the way we operate. So the core is the same and the way we operate is different. And I think what I mentioned around leadership being aligned with the core truly is not a skill, it's more of a value, uh, but then the skill of management, you know, is really to be aligned with the operating, the operating model. So if, if you want to manage well, you have to manage as per the way those, uh, those who are being managed, uh, you know, uh, would like, but, but to, 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 to lead well, you just have to have the correct value system. Was there a time in your life where someone recognized in you the potential for that kind of leadership for you to have an opportunity to step up in some way? and inspire others to follow you? I, 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 think, I think I was more of a manager than a leader until I joined Google. I, and I, I say that very openly, which probably was late in my career. I mean, Google is a place where you're allowed to live your values. Uh, Google is a place where, you know, it's, it's not the typical approach to business and 
capitalism, if you want. I mean, we, 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 we're a very profitable company, but not because we chase the money as much as we chase the difference that we can make in the world. So, so Larry, our CEO, would always say that what we're trying to do is solve big problems uh, for people. And when you do that, people will use your product. And when they use your product, you're eventually going to make money. And I, I, remember, I remember vividly that the first time where I felt really that I had a following in, 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 in Google was when we had a, our first sales conference, it was in Sevilla in Spain. And, you know, I was running emerging markets and my peers were running, you know, advanced markets. So the priorities on my peers lists was, you know, how are we going to improve that operational bit and how are we going to, you know, connect more with those user uh, groups and so on. And I was, Truly, my my view was what's what's on what was on my mind was how are we going to help all of those people in emerging markets who don't have access to information get access to information in their own language and believe it or not that's not as simple as launching the Google box on a white screen in a different language that's a much more uh, you know layered. You really literally have to build the infrastructure of the Internet in Swahili for Google to work in Swahili. Right. Uh, and and so I, I stood there and I spoke from the heart. And I, I, you know, I think that was the first time where I felt that all Googlers who also believed so strong, strongly in making the world a better place sort of aligned and said, yes, we were, we're willing to follow this. Even if we're not working in emerging markets, we're willing to make this work. That's amazing. I think you're right that you by speaking your truth, you you were opening up an opportunity for others to sort of see how their own vision and work would fit in. And I love that you work in a place that allows you to do that, that gives you the opportunity to to, to create the space for that. It's the, it's the best thing ever. Yeah. yeah. So um, how long have you, you've been at Google quite a while? So. 10 years now, 10 years and two yeah. months. Uh, I'm on sabbatical now, focusing on my Soul for Happy mission, on the 10 million happy mission, hopefully back in July. So, uh, you know, I know I know we may play this a little later than July, but, you know, I'm, I hopefully uh, will be back uh, to look for my next role in July. So uh, what do you find most rewarding about your work? We'll start with your work at Google, and then we'll talk a little bit about your book. So what's most rewarding about what you've been able to do? I mean, the, the being at Google X must be, I mean, it's a dream factory. So it's just, you get to think about things that are literally science fiction and try to create reality from them. So that's, that's a unique opportunity. You'll be surprised. Once again, that's not the biggest, I mean, it's an incredible place, but that's not the reason. The, re, the reason, there are so many innovative technology uh, players in the world. I mean, uh, w w w you know, um, it's not about the technology, surprisingly. It's about the impact. It's about the fact that you can wake up in the morning and feel that what you're doing makes a difference. And, and that applies to my, my personal mission too, right? So, so, so in, 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 a, in a nutshell, I think we humans are made... Uh, uh, to 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 leave a mark on this universe, on on living, if you want, okay. And that mark, by the way, has been destroyed by our. What you know, I, I love TED talks, but I I use the term loosely by by our TED mentality that people are are trying to make a difference just so that they have 18 minutes uh, to to talk about it to the rest of the world. The truth is, your your the difference you make to the world might be as small as smiling in someone's face, right? And and that smile would turn them around so that they change their mind on something and then they go and change the world. And that could be your impact in, on the world. And it's not a small impact at all. 
uh, you know, and, and, and I think because we in, in our Western education, we, we, t- we tend to believe that we're in control of everything. We don't realize how much small things, how far small things will go. And because we're here to make a difference, because we're here to have an impact, um, you know, those of us who suddenly realize that it's the, the, like Larry Page's philosophy, that if you actually make an impact, all else will follow. You, you're going to find, you know, a good living uh, as a result. You're going to make reasonable profits as a result. You're not going to starve. You know, you don't have to 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 become, you know, successful like the Wall Street or the Silicon Valley view to enjoy life, right? What you really need to enjoy life, if you ask me, is to be aligned somehow with that core inside you that keeps telling you every morning, I should be doing this, right? I should be doing this because this is what I believe in. This is how I I see the world and how I see the world should become, right? Uh, most of us, unfortunately, get blinded by all of the promises uh, and, and, and forget that. When you go to, to Google X, you will meet people that truly, uh, uh, not everybody, but many people who truly live there because they believe so much in what they're building and they believe that it would really make the world a better place. I mean, that is an incredible reason to get out of bed every day. But I also know that you're, you're painting almost a really rosy picture of what you've been able to achieve. But I sort of gave away in your intro that while that's been true and you've had a lot of success in life, you've also faced, I mean, tremendous sadness and tragedy. And I know that part of your story is that you you had to deal with an incredible challenge. Would you share a little bit about that? It's not only me. And there is not a single person I know who hasn't faced challenges. We, we all get tested for a simple reason, because if you look back at your life and you look at the harshest times, these were truly the times that made you the person that you are. You know, it's, you know, in a, in a very interesting way, if you, if you, if life was easy, it would be boring like hell and you would never learn anything. Right. And, and, and so I was tested, you'll be surprised almost in every aspect where you can get tested. I was tested at, you know, with challenges at work, with challenges in life. Of course, the biggest of them was losing my son. Um, My son, Ali was not just a son. I, I think Ali was, um, was, you know, I had him very young. We, we played tons of video games together. I'm a serious video gamer. Uh, he's legendary. And, and you know, and we, 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 he was my son. He was my best friend. We played music together. We read books together. We learned so much together. We actually developed my model of happiness. That's the subject of the, of the book, Soul for Happy, together. And, uh, and he was my coach. He was so wise. At age 16, I used to tell uh, my friends, when I grow up, I want to be like Ali. He, he was so wise at 16. It was really shocking. And, you know, to lose someone who's your coach, your mentor, your friend, your son is probably the hardest thing ever. And, and, and I will keep saying that now three uh, month, three years and two months later, I honestly don't know how to describe it. You feel, you feel that something is missing. A part of your heart is torn out somehow. I, I just don't ha- know how to describe it. But but somehow going through that experience, we went through it, I wouldn't say happy, even as a family, not just myself. We went through it peaceful. We were so calm. We were, we were the ones where people c- came to Ali's memorial crying. We were the ones, you know, hugging them and, you know, telling them our view of death and life and our view of happiness. And they would smile and calm down and they would literally walk around our home 
laughing out loud, and which truly is truly Ali's energy when you think about it. They would remember memories with Ali and they would, uh, you know, uh, simply um, laugh and share stories and hug and, you know, look at his pictures on the wall, always smiling. And and it was a truly magnificent get together. If you if you didn't know, you would think it was his birthday or graduation party or something. And and somehow we went through that challenge, which I believe is the biggest challenge that a, a parent would ever 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 have to endure. Uh, with flying colors, I would say. I, I I mean I I looking back now, I think Ali would be very proud uh, with how we handled losing him. I have an 18 month old and this is a painful thing for me to even listen to. I mean, yes, I, it's hard to find words like to. I hope he or she is always happy and healthy. Yeah. You know, and, and I hope you see their, you know, their grandchildren. That's, that's what it's supposed to be. Yeah. Wow. That is really powerful. And so you had already prior to this developed this algorithm, this concept, this framework and had tested it in different ways, but this is a true test of whether this would work. I'm, I'm curious about how um, your family actually adopted this with you and that, you know, while you may have decided you were gonna go through and manage the raw emotion that you were experiencing using this, like how, how easy or hard was it for you to say, okay, remember this, let's, let's apply this in this moment. So, so, so remember, my, my story with unhappiness started um, much, much earlier. It actually started before Ali was born. Uh, so more than 23 uh, years earlier. And, and I think, uh, you know, the, the idea is I was, I was extremely, extremely successful for my humble beginnings at a very young age. I mean, I came from, I'm, I'm an Egyptian, so I was educated in uh, public schools in Egypt and public universities in Egypt, which is not the highest level of education, as you can imagine. Uh, and and somehow life blessed me unexpectedly so much. As a, at a young age, you know, in my late 20s, I was a director in a consumer's good, uh, goods company, you know, had all of the ambitions that we live a lifetime for, you know, all of the fortune, all of the blessings that we live for. And, you know, I had a wonderful wife, to amazing kids and I was miserable, miserable. And, and I, you know, I had to, uh, you know, I tried to find my way out of it, the, the modern uh, world way, you know, buying toys and gadgets and, you know, traveling and, and it just didn't work. And, and so I had to, uh, you know, being a Middle Eastern and living in the Middle East at the time, I had no opportunity for therapy and I probably wouldn't have because we're so macho, right? Uh, even if it was available, I mean, I wouldn't have gone, but, but, um, so I had to read myself out of the problem and, and to read myself out of it, I had to read, uh, um, like an engineer. I, I could not get the, the happiness literature that was written out there because even though I'm reasonably spiritual, uh, you know, it, it just doesn't make sense to me. As an engineer, if you tell me to solve a problem, you have to define the problem accurately. You have to give me how the algorithm of the machine works. Why is this physical form of mind producing unhappiness? Tell me what's going on before you tell me to meditate, right? And so, and so researching it like an engineer, it took us, I think around 12 years or so. Ali, Ali was truly the role model. He was always happy. He was always peaceful. He had that tattoo on his back 
that read the gravity of the battle means nothing to those at peace. And Ali, Ali truly lived his life with that peace. Not, nothing you could throw at him would, would, would upset him more than an hour or two, right? And, and, uh, and he could always find that peace. And so I would develop my model from an engineer's point of view. I would go back to this little Zen monk I had at home and say, Ali, you know, I found that out. And he would go like, yeah, you could have asked me, but anyway, and you know, we, we you know, <laughs> together we started to develop this and live it. I mean, in as as a family, we were always discussing things together, and and I think when when you think about it, uh, the the problem with grief is that there are five stages to grief, and I, I actually use the word grief for everything, right? So the extreme side of grief is to lose a loved one. But, you know, if you lose a job, there is a bit of grief there. If you lose, you know, if someone steals something from you, there is a bit of grief there. And, you know, there are five stages. I think what really worked for us is we hit the fifth stage four hours after we lost Ali, which was the stage of acceptance. And it happened in a very interesting way because uh, we got a call from the Dubai government, of course, you know, being a a Google senior executive and so on. They were concerned and they said something like, you know, we're not going to let this uh, you know, go un, uh, unpunished. You know, Ali Ali died because of a, a, a very uh, trivial medical error during a very, very trivial operation. And so a preventable error uh, during a very trivial operation, uh, surgical operation. So, so, so my, you know, his mother sitting next to me basically looked at me and I said, you know, Nibel, they, they want to perform an autopsy on Ali's body. Are you okay with that? And she said, the one question that anchored us in the truth and the truth was, Ali's not coming back. And she said, will it bring Ali back? Right. And once she asked that question, will she, will it bring Ali back, you know, as harsh, you know, as almost a ton of brick fell on you. It was also so liberating to know that this is it. There is no control, Mr. Executive, that you have over this. Uh, There is nothing you can do, including locking yourself in a room for the next 25 years and crying that can change the situation. So you might as well learn to accept and commit to make tomorrow a little better than today because, you know, life fell from the the, the high moment of the last time I could hug Ali before, before he went into the operating room was the high point of my life. It fell when, when we lost him. And now you have to make a choice as a, as a true leader, because I know everyone in, on this podcast is interested in leadership as a true leader, you sort of lost that massive battle with life. It's like, okay, life, you, you took my son. Th- that was a bad move, right? But am I gonna stop there? Or am I gonna move forward? Am I, going, am, I, am I going to find a way to keep the pain because the pain never goes away, but not go through the suffering, not go through the incessant thought that is useless. And instead of locking myself in a room thinking about, uh, you know, I should have, I should have, you know, driven him to another hospital, which, is a thought that is totally useless because I cannot go back and drive him to another hospital. Uh, Instead, I should think about, let me write down the model we developed together. Let me share it with the world. Let me give myself the target of 10 million happy people. Let me tell 10 million people how amazing my son was. And hopefully that way I can honor him. I can send 10 million happy wishes his way. I can send 10 million prayers his way. And wouldn't that be slightly a slightly better world than the day when he left? It's so powerful that you're able to take that painful moment and now you produce this really, really positive campaign that is taking you all around the globe 
to inspire other people. And I know you're hearing from a lot of people the stories of, of how your work and your words have impacted them and helped them shift their view from small to large tragedy, you know, trauma, small T to large T trauma. And you're getting clear evidence over and over again that this works. It works. It works. And it's incredible that it works. It must make the engineer part of your brain really happy that you found that. <laughs> <laughs> it works because happiness is is not hard when you know how to make it work. That, that's the interesting thing. Huh? The problem is that we've been buried so deeply under uh, illusions in the modern world. Illusions that, draw, that, that we were taught to believe in to deliver success. And, and we're capable people. Huh? Humans are capable creatures. We were told at age six to stop being playful, to stop feeling happy, to just go to school and sit there for eight hours a day. And that's what we do, right? And by the way, that, there is nothing wrong with that. You can actually do that and still be happy. The problem is in the process, we learn. We learn to, to treat life in a way that is actually not at all what life is about. And so uh, we achieve the success that they set us out to achieve. And in the process, we lose happiness. We lose, we lose happiness. We, we fall into unhappiness, constant unhappiness. And you'll be amazed how many people, I mean, I get thousands and thousands of emails Everyone has a tragedy. Everyone has a challenge. Everyone will, if they haven't already, lose a loved one, right? I mean, when, when Ali died, I, I, I went to his grave every day for a very long time. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really strange when you see it because the day he died, he was the last grave, you know, at the edge of the graveyard. The next day I went, there were four or seven more. And then the following week there were, I don't know, 50 more. And, and, and it's, it hit me while I was sitting there that the grave diggers are actually digging graves at a predictable rate. To them, it's just an operation. It's like we're going to dig 12 a day. Some days we're going to get 10 visitors and other days we're, we're going to get 13, right? And, 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 you know, somehow you realize that we all go through challenges. And some of the amazing emails that I get of people who say, I get it. I get it. I get that life is not out to get me. I get that life is out there to make me better, to help me develop. And I now understand how to tackle the problem so that I don't lose my happiness. And at the same time, I become better at what I do. So I want to switch gears a little bit, although I feel like it's it's a tangent from this, which is you now have the opportunity to travel the world, to share this message. It's really powerful. And you're being very successful there. You're successful in your your job, you have the opportunity to do this. But there's also a toll, there's a emotional and physical toll in doing this. So what is self care in this moment for you? How are you making sure that you the messenger are able to be living this life fully and very present without wearing yourself down? So, so that's my number one advice to everyone. Uh, of, of course, you know, I get a lot of people who also ask to become champions of Soul for Happy and help me spread the word. And the number one ask I have of every one of them is you can never help anybody until you help yourself. We have to have that solid wellness, solid happiness, solid peace inside us. If we're able to spread that message, that message, even though in, in Soul for Happy, happiness is anchored in logic. I actually have a very, very uh, mathematical equation that works, you know, followed by a very, very, you know, solid model, repeatable that works every time. 
But still, you have to have that solid piece inside you to be able to spread that message. I will tell you, though, that to find that is not hindered by uh, by hard work. Okay. Uh, as a matter of fact, the message of Solve for Happy is you can become the, the chief business officer of Google X and not pay for that, the tax of unhappiness, right? They're not mutually exclusive at all. Uh, I think what most of us do is we have a lot of waste in our life, a lot of hours that go unused in our day. Those hours can be unused in simple things like watching the endless flood of sitcoms and episodes that are on Netflix and TV, right? Uh, which in my personal view, I, I actually don't do any of that at all. I don't remember even the last time I wasted, you know, an hour, let alone 16 hours on uh, something that is really not important for, for my performance in life at all. I use those hours to read. I use those hours to work out. I use those hours to connect with people at a very, very deep level. And, and those hours replenish me and make me uh, a lot more, uh, you know, um, a lot more capable of continuing to perform. I don't look at, you know, most of my trips, as I told you, I, I literally go full circles around the globe all the time. I just fly east all the time. And so, you know, and, and so sometimes those trips will be 25 hours, 27 hours, right? And you, you'll be surprised. I come out of those refreshed, not, not depleted, because I don't sit there in the airplane waiting. I don't actually ever, ever, ever switch on the TV that, you know, that says how many hours are left to, to, till we land. I, I don't care because the only hour that I care about is this hour. The only minute I care about is this minute, right? And there are so many amazing things you can do. You can connect with people, you can meditate, you can read, you can relax or, or rest, you can stretch, you can do whatever you want, right? If, if, you, if you focus your attention on, okay, this is horrible, uh, you know, my life is miserable, I'm flying all the time, you're gonna feel miserable. If you actually focus your attention on, my God, this is amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm getting from London to Korea in 11 hours. Like, wow, that's incredible, right? And, and you enjoy that blessing that you have. You come out on the other hand and more refreshed rather than, than, uh, than you know, tired. I absolutely love the philosophy that you live. Is there a habit that you're particularly trying to incorporate into your life? Yeah, the, the, the big habit that has actually taken me over recently, uh, recently is five years ago, uh, is, um, so, so let me start one step higher and then I'll come to that habit, right? The, the step higher is this. There is an algorithm to happiness. There is a predictable model. If you know how to do it and you focus on it, okay, you're gonna make it happen. But happiness is truly like working out. It's like, it's like being fit, okay? If I tell you that, eating healthy and going to the gym five times a week is gonna make you fit. Knowing that doesn't make you fit. You understand? You have to do two things. One is you have to prioritize fitness over cheesecake, right? If, if you don't do that, good luck, right? Uh, and, 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 and the second is you actually have to show up at the gym. You understand? If you, if you don't show up at the gym, you're not gonna be fit, okay? Or, or whatever fitness exercise you do. So, so the same applies to happiness. You have to prioritize your happiness over everything else, believe it or not, over success. Because by the way, you're more likely to succeed if you're happy, right? That's, that's such an important thing for leaders to understand. You're more likely to make people around you more productive if you're happy. You're more you know, likely to make everything work better and you make better connections, make better friends, make, more, make people want to help you out if you're happy, right? Um, 
so 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 you know you have to prioritize and then you have to do the work that is needed to become uh, happy and and the one part that i struggled with uh, f- for a long time even after my model was developed was being present and and you know a lot of people will tell you meditation works meditation is an incredible exercise to teach yourself how to be present in the present moment to focus on things other than thought if you want okay uh, but that didn't work for me because of my busy schedule and my busy lifestyle and you know i could catch an hour there and two hours here and right and so i learned around 5 years ago to meditate on everything which is an incredible experience, Robbie. You have no idea. And, and it's actually not that difficult. I'll give you a couple of examples. I used to wo- wo- walk to work in, in Mountain View, uh, a few, you know, in California, in, uh, you know, for, for around six months or so. And I gave myself a very simple target. Every morning, I decided I will take one picture that is so beautiful that I want to keep forever, right? And I failed many mornings, but some mornings I took incredible pictures. And regardless... Every morning, I paid attention to everything on my path to work. I saw so many flowers I've never seen before, so many butterflies. I smiled in so many you know, people's faces. I smelled so much more coffee on the way. I, you know, I, I recognized everything. Uh, and, and once you do that, suddenly your walk to work become, becomes a total meditation, right? I meditate on every single email I try to respond to. Right. I don't I don't respond like we do. I read it, then read it again, then understand it, then write it, then read it. My response, then spell check it, then read it again, then send it like the first email you sent when you when you started a new job. Right. When you do that, you're literally meditating on the email. I meditate on every number on every slide. I understand them. I look at them. I try to understand where they came from. I look at the colors of the slides. Why? Why did he choose to make that column red? Right. And when you do that, you will be amazed how much time slows down. Like literally, I lived more in the last five years. I feel I lived more than I lived in the in the in the 45 before. It's incredible when you think about it. And that's the habit I've been investing so heavily in to be present because presence truly is the most powerful tool we have as as executives and leaders to be able to completely understand what your employee or what your partner is talking about because you're listening to every word, you're observing every body language, uh, you know, uh, uh, signal, you're aware of everything that's happening in the room and everything that happened the week before and everything that should happen the next day. That is so uh, amazing. I've never heard anyone describe that quite so vividly. Uh, I, I know that most of us do sort of float through the day. I mean, just your example about walking, like that we could just, you know, be on our phone. I mean, a lot of people, you see them walking Absolutely. and texting or. You, you know why? You know why? Because we're trained so much yeah. that it's, it's all about the destination. Right. No, sir. It is it's not about, about the destination. It's about you the know, journey. You, you know, you know what the destination is? we will die. That's the destination, right? Eventually, if you really look at the ultimate destination, and, and, and it's funny, really, because we're so trained to live our life, either distracted, or living in the past, thinking about something with regret, or, you know, uh, or, or, or shame, or guilt, or whatever, or living in the future, 
thinking about something with worry and concern and you know and you know what neither the the, the past exists nor the future exists until you live it right so when when it when when the past existed it was called now and when the future actually happens it's going to be called now and somehow we're living inside our heads we're living inside our heads and wasting so much of our life not enjoying it yeah and that that's leading to the unhappiness so this is great i i am so excited to be sharing this with our listeners to encourage them to pick up your book. I want to switch gears a tiny bit because this is also about networking and relationship building. And I know that it's a piece of the work you've been doing all these years that you, you've had a lot of amazing jobs. I, I was looking at your career trajectory and you really, from humble beginnings, took advantage of one position and sort of leapfrogged to the next, to the next, to the point where you are now. As you've met people in your life, as you've made these connections, is there something you're doing intentionally to really sustain those connections, to, to build that network, particularly your professional network? Is there something you're doing to, to have that not just be connections on LinkedIn, but people that you really can, you know, they'll know who you are and, and want yeah. to talk to you? Two, 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 two things, really. I, I, for, n- number one is I treat everyone as I would like to be treated. And it's really not that difficult. And, you know, it's a very simple test. Uh, you know, when, when someone approaches me or someone sends me an email or, you know, whatever, whatever interaction, I just deal with everyone like I want to be treated. Okay. If I, if I feel that the way I'm treating them is going to upset me, I don't do it. I treat them the way that would please me. And so eventually many of them will actually stay in touch, which I think is, 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 is really simple. I, I don't burn bridges because I don't like people who burn bridges, to be very honest, okay? I don't become aggressive because I don't think there is a point in being aggressive. I, I like to treat people, you know, respectfully. Uh, so, 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 so this is one. And, and the other is, um, uh, surprisingly, um, I learned at Google, which I think made a huge difference for me, that I actually don't know what's right at all. Uh, you know, as a matter of fact, nobody does. Uh, you know, and when, when I joined Google, I joined from Microsoft and I was, you know, managing emerging markets for the comm sector for, you know, a while. And, and so I, I was like, I know it all. And I walked into Google and the pace of the internet and, and, the, and, the, and the way the industry was being developed and the brilliant young minds around me completely proved me wrong. So, so you would sit in a, in a, in, you know, in the, in, in the Google I joined, you would sit in a meeting where the youngest person in the room would look at me, the, you know, the vice president and say, Hey, Mo, you're an idiot. And you, you, you know, the first time you get offended and then, you know, the second time you go like, why, why, why do you think I'm an, I'm an idiot? And, and, you know, and they'll say, well, uh, because, you know, here is this piece of data, here is this piece of information, here's this piece of discovery. If you put all of these together, it actually means that what you just said might not be true. And you go like, wow, that's actually very interesting. And the interest, the more interesting thing is that a day and a half later, someone else would look at them and say, I'm, you know, I'm not saying you're an idiot in a bad way. I mean, basically, you know, someone else would look at them and say, Hey, but there is this piece of data. There is this piece of information. And here is something else we should think about. The, the, the truth of us executives is that we think we know it all, right? Uh, we know nothing at all. As a matter of fact, the troops know a lot more if we can manage to get them to share, uh, openly, we will learn so much more. Uh, and so, and so because I don't, because I'm completely convinced, I truly am in my heart, completely convinced that I don't know it all. 
I actually ask and you will be amazed, you know, how, how that helps you connect with people. I ask because I'm curious, right? And, and that really truly is the most incredible connection you have with a knowledge worker with someone who values their knowledge is to say, I don't know this. Can you teach me? Right. Uh, I think these have been the two rules, if you want, uh, that I used to stay in touch with people. I appreciate that framework. And as you're traveling, are you also making an effort to connect with people that you know in these these far flung destinations? Are you reaching back into your Rolex? <laughs> I do. I do. And I fail. I mean, you, you have to imagine I probably have more than 14,000 contacts on, on my my, you know, uh, list, my, my contact list. And every one of them will expect when I meet them next time that I will say, hey, how, you know, are your dance lessons going? Okay. Uh, because these were all actually reasonably deep conversations at a point in time over the next, the last two or three years. Uh, it's hard to keep in touch. I think social media is helping us a little. It's hurting us a little as well. Uh, but it's almost impossible. I wish someone would actually send me an email or ping me a technique where we can uh, can scale this ability to connect, not to meet. Huh? Meetings are easy, but to connect at a deep level to, to, to more and more people, I think this might be the next phase of evolution of humanity, if you want. Yeah, I think what's hardest for me is uh, figuring out how to connect, not with the people you have strong ties with, but those weak ties, like Malcolm Gladwell talks about, the people that you don't have a reason to keep working with in the today, but yes. you want to, you you'd like them, you think they're really smart, you're, you think they're really passionate. So for me, it's always a trick to, like, if I don't have a project to work with them, remembering. So I actually use a CRM. I use Contactually to do that. To I put them in a bucket and I set a little timer on the bucket. And then if in the time period, whether it's three months or six months, I haven't emailed or called them or had a direct connection with them, I'll get a reminder to do so. And at that point, I have to evaluate, is this someone that I still find that I want to put that effort into? And if yes, then I reach out. I look to see what they're doing on social media. I write them a note. I, you know, it's just, it's hard. I think this works by the way. I, 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 I would offer an alternative view. So, so you're, you're looking at it from the, from the practical modern world way of doing. Okay. I also look at it from the spiritual, uh, uh, you know, uh, world of being. Okay. And, and, you know, I do, I do like really interesting things with my contact list. So I would take a picture of everyone I meet. Okay. And I would actually try and write a small note of when we met and what we last spoke about, uh, at least the first time. But you, I also realized that it only takes just a few conversations to create a connection. It doesn't have to last for the rest of, of, of your, of your days. You don't have to maintain it every month. And at least in my experience, if you create a deep enough connection, uh, you know, you can always revert back to someone, uh, you know, four years later and say, Hey, and they'll say, Mo, you know, I miss you, man. How have you been? Right. Um, so, so, so to create that deep connection, I actually look for, remember when we started our conversation about leadership, I look for that core, for that common core, the common core between me and every person would be slightly different. So, so for some of us, maybe we're both trying to lose weight. For some of us, we, we were maybe interested in, you know, workout. For others, we're interested in Iron Maiden or whatever that is, right? And if you just find that little core and just hit it a few times, you can build a strong enough emotional and spiritual connection, if you want, between two 
beings, not to workers, that I find lasts a very, very long time and can be revived at any time you want. One of the reasons that I have the video on for this uh, conversation, even though it's only being shared audio, is that I have found that it has been incredible to sit for an hour and talk with someone that I haven't met previously and that the the impact of that hour conversation lasts a lot longer Absolutely. because of the visual. I think I'm a big fan of the online, but I also, what I spend a lot of time talking about is that in this Facebook world, we've forgotten how to do FaceTime. And I don't mean the app. <laughs> I mean yeah. the actual, you know, in-person connection, which brings me to my next question, Mo. Mm. I'm sure that in your work, you go to a lot of conferences and I'm curious because I'm, I'm writing a book that'll be out right before this airs. Uh, its title is Croissants versus Bagels. <laughs> okay. Strategic, Effective, and Inclusive Networking at Conferences. I need, I need a copy of that. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll give you a quick understanding of the, of the Croissants versus Bagels, which is a powerful sort of concept. When you walk to an, a networking event, people are standing in those tight little networking circles, those shoulder-to-shoulder huddles. That's uh-huh. the bagel. And it's uh-huh. very hard to break into. But if one person opened up their body language and made some space for others to join that circle, you would then have a croissant. Ah, okay. And when you're going to an event, you would scan the floor and see how people are standing. And some people will be more naturally open in their body language. And those would be easier spaces to enter into. And from there, kind of connect with the room as opposed to becoming a wallflower, and then people who talk to you also don't know anyone else in the room, which makes it harder to sort of be present. And so I'm really excited to be sharing these tips with everyone, and I'm curious if you have any strategies that you do to be really present and engaged in a room to know that you're bringing something of value or getting something of value from the experience. It's a lot of time and money to go to an event. So is there something you're doing consciously. Yeah. So, so, so the, fir- the first thing is, by the way, I know it may sound weird, but, uh, I am an extreme introvert. Uh, you know, if I, if I am given the space, I would spend a lot of time alone. And, uh, you know, in, in uh, Susan Cain in her incredible book, quiet spoke about the difference between introverts and, and extroverts. Uh, you know, we all, we all learn to be extroverted in the modern world. Uh, and, and my, and my style surprisingly is I use my introvert to become extroverted somehow. I, I actually speak very little at the beginning and then, uh, and then only, only say, you know, speak when I think that what I'm doing is going to add value. I, I have to say because of my, uh, maybe my title, uh, I don't suffer from uh, trying to break into a, 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 a you know a bagel anymore. Uh, I think norm- normally I, I'm you know I'm surrounded by bagels if you want, but uh, but still it's not about opening the circle. It's really about keeping the circle, uh, you know. And and to to be able to do that, I I I, t- I tend to share um, very much what I, again I think is common across all of us. So. You know, not everyone is an executive at Google and not everyone is, you know, interested in telecommunications, but everyone is a human. And I, and I, I tend to find that this would probably be the easiest way uh, to, to, uh, to, um, 
to 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 open a bagel if you want, right? And and I taught I taught myself that in a very interesting way actually. I I learned at Starbucks where uh, I realized that to overcome my intro introvertism, if you want, the easiest thing is to, to force myself to talk to everybody. And so I basically started to talk to everyone in front of me in the line on Starbucks, you know, and, and there will always be some common thing between you and the person in front of you. Either, you know, the line is too long for both of you or, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's too many choices and both of you are, you know, wondering why should coffee be this complicated? So <laughs> by, by, by talking to, to people about topics that don't really matter, it allows you to, 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 to lose the fear uh, when you need to talk about the topics that actually matter. I think what's great, Mo, is you're, you're touching on this idea of um, comfort zones because there's been a lot of exploration and research around this that what you just described is that in a safe, uh, comfortable, non-scary way, you stretched your comfort zone and practice this idea of having, you know, what some might call small talk and casual observation talk. And, and in fact, one of the things I tell people to do when they first get into a space is to get in line for food or for a drink and make those kinds of casual ah. observations because that's a common experience. You're all standing around and you're, oh, that looks really good. Or I'm not sure what to drink to get, you know, like, but oh, wow. I right. love I'm, that you practice it in a space like Starbucks and it just gets you comfortable doing that. And so when you're in another situation, it's a little easier. I also want to acknowledge that obviously now that you're chief business officer at Google, uh, you're uh, going to have a different way of operating in those spaces that by being a speaker, by being an executive, you get to draw people to you which is for an introvert probably a lot easier than having to go seek out those connections. Um, and I love that you said that you wait to speak. And I think that's one of the powerful things that introverts have. Um, I am an outgoing extrovert and I have to train myself to not just say everything coming in my head. And I think <laughs> introverts get heard because they speak so little that it feels profound <laughs> when they do. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, yeah. It normally is because most introverts will go like, do I really have to say this? Do I really? I mean, maybe I should wait. <laughs> so I, when, right. when, when they feel the urge to come out with something, it's actually... They've thought yeah, about probably. it. <laughs> <laughs> They've actually thought about it where I'm thinking as I'm speaking. So um, I think it's wonderful and I'm, I'm excited to share this resource because I think it helps people regardless of where they fall on the Myers-Briggs. I think that- Are, are, we, are we able to pre-order it yet or? It's actually, yeah, by this point when this airs, it's going to be out on Amazon. So go look oh, up croissants versus bagels. And, uh, and Mo, because I like you, I'm going to share a copy ahead of time. I've got one right oh, ready you're for the you. Oh, man. Thank you. <laughs> I will Thank share you. an advanced copy with you. That's the perk of, uh, you know, of, of being on podcasts. I, totally. I would love to actually, if, if you don't mind. I'll, you know, I, I love to read anyway. And I think this is an interesting topic. Yeah, thank Fantastic. you for that. Well, so how would people get in touch with you and follow your work? What's the best way for them to stay connected? Solveforhappy.com is is uh, the the central point if you want. But I'm also on you know uh, on Facebook. I'm mo.gaudet.personal, and I'm uh, you know of course uh, facebook.com/solveforhappy is the is the is where I announce all of the events and and uh, and you know the news and so on. Uh, YouTube.com/solveforhappy is where I have all of the videos around 
uh, around uh, Soul for Happy. And there, are, there is actually quite a, a bit of resources, including fu- full day, uh, you know, 10 hour classes at Stanford. And, you know, I, I've, I've tried so hard because the, the mission truly is about making people happy, not selling books. You know, the mission is uh, has been documented in a reasonable way in talks and podcasts and, and lectures and so on. And so anyone who's interested can can be there. I, I definitely cannot reach millions on my own. So I'm, I'm asking everyone on this podcast to take a quota like I do. I mean, I'm taking a quota of 10 million happy. Maybe you should take a quota of your listeners. And, you know, everyone who's listening maybe should take a quota of the people they love, even if it's just your sister and your, you know, your, uh, you know, partner and your your, um, you know, best friend. Okay. And, and when, when we do that, if, if we actually pay it forward and each of us tells a couple of people about what makes us happier and ask them to, to, to tell a couple of people about what makes them happier, maybe we could reach more than 10 million. I think in a, don't say that in public, but I think the 10 million is a small target. I think we should aim for more than 10 million happy, but I, I take all the, all the, the help I can get uh, get in touch, you know, my, my, uh, my, uh, on, on Facebook or, or whatever. And, and let's just work on this together. Awesome. Mo, thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom. I really appreciate it. And thank you so much for having me. And, you know, I, I hope we, uh, we get together again. I'll wait for that copy. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Mo Goodet. Such a pleasure to speak with him and learn about his leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 57. Is networking an important but your least favorite part of your job? My coaching clients felt the same way. Through a combination of technical tips, accountability, and a bit of inspiration, I help leaders stop wasting time networking and start building great relationships. As I mentioned, this fall, I'm launching a pilot group coaching program. Now, this is a virtual program, so if this sounds like something you'd like to be part of, you should definitely reach out because it's going to get started soon. Actually, you'll see the uh, sales page is already up on my website at robbysamuels.com. The program is called Empowered Networking. And if that's intriguing, again, check it out at robbysamuels.com. Do you host a conference or convention? and want your attendees to feel that your event was incredibly valuable because of the connections they made, I work with associations and companies to design events that increase engagement and create a welcoming culture for all attendees, especially your first-time attendees. Now, if you know someone who might be interested in chatting, I would love the introduction. And during the show, I mentioned that I use Contactually to manage my professional network. And as an affiliate for Contactually, they're offering my listeners a free trial Let me know if you sign up for the free trial and I'll help you get set up for success. Visit robbysamuels.com slash contactually for all the details. That's contactually, C-O-N-T-A-C-T-U-A-L-L-Y. And for your convenience, I'll add the link to the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Just look for episode 57. And just a reminder, my best-selling book is available at robbysamuels.com slash bookstore. Here's a review of the book received on Amazon. Robbie Samuels' book recognizes the painful reality for many of us, the stack of business cards in the corner of the desk that we meant to follow up on, the sense of exhaustion about going to another networking event to quickly meet more people who will be forgotten and whose cards will soon also become desk dust catchers, and the nervousness we feel when scanning an event room trying to find a group that we would welcome 
joining. He provides practical suggestions that turn networking into relationship building by establishing clear routines for researching and prioritizing your networking targets, writing follow-up emails in advance of events, approaching the crowd, introducing yourself, engaging in a conversation, handing someone a business card, closing a conversation, and following up. <laughs> I love all the reviews. There's been over 160 of them worldwide, and I would love to hear what resonates with you. So please, if you've gotten a book and you've listened to it and, or you read it, definitely go to Amazon and write an honest review. Um, I'm looking forward to reading it. And if you want to discover other business podcasts, check out C-Suite Radio at c-suiteradio.com. We will find On the Schmooze in good company with other C-Suite Radio headliners. Before I go, I want to sincerely thank all of you who've already subscribed and left a rating and review on iTunes. By subscribing and leaving a rating review, you're helping this podcast get discovered by more listeners. Will you take a moment to subscribe and leave an honest rating and review? If you include your Twitter handle in your review, I can give you a shout out. It's easy to find our iTunes page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. And I look forward to coming again next week when I'll be interviewing another talented professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming a successful leader. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.